0: Uh, I'm doing a series uh, which I've titled, God Loves Us, He, and then I've got dot, dot, dot. Uh, And last week, uh, the big idea on how God loves us was I was trying to explain uh, the master plan that God has. Uh, Now, that can seem a little abstract, it can seem a little uh, distant, but uh, the idea there is that Uh, God really desires to share his presence with us. And if we uh, see the big picture, it's helpful uh, to understand why it is sometimes we experience God and other times we don't. Uh, Meaning if we uh, get part of God's plan, we tend to experience him more. So for instance... I was saying, look, there's a master plan where God's original intent was to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. There was a sense that God wants to walk with us, be with us. We experience his presence. And uh, at the end of time when Jesus uh, returns, there's going to be a sense where God is going to restore creation and he will walk again with us. We will be with Jesus. That's the the plan. But in the interim, uh, God designed a whole scheme where it would be tabernacles and temples and, and church, where we could come and experience uh, God's presence, that we wouldn't be uh, separated or distant from God. There's a, a vehicle where we can uh, encounter God. But today, I want to go to the other end of the spe- spectrum, and that is, how do we experience God personally, like today? How do we experience God's love, uh, God's presence personally. You see, because in a sort of a selfish way, it's one thing if you understand the master plan of God, but if you don't feel like personally connected to God, then that's just like, yeah, okay, a nice story. But when God uh, intersects his life with our lives and he reveals himself to us, uh, it's, well, it, it's really awesome. Uh, it can also be quite actually, it can actually be intimidating. It can be like too awesome. It's like, wow, God, you, you know me. You're like, you really know me. I mean, like, you like can know more about me than I really want you to know about me. You know, but that's part of the package. So uh, let me just pray uh, for this uh, this morning. Uh, you know, if, if there's anything I want you to get out of this sermon, this message today, it's that you personally would connect with God, that somehow or other, in God's mystical way, you would experience God's presence today. Not like later on, not, but today. So Jesus, uh, I just acknowledge, uh, there's no ways I can do that. Uh, it's only uh, you. And so we invite you. We ask your Holy Spirit to, to be here and to move among us. And uh, God, I just pray that uh, you would uh, encourage each person here today. Lord, every person comes with needs and with uh, things that are going on in their minds and in their lives and uh, struggles and joys, but Lord, uh, it's when you, you sort of get involved in our lives that it makes it so rich. So Lord, I just pray that you would empower me to preach today and there would be a sense, Lord, where we encounter your presence and we just welcome your presence in this place. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I uh, want to um, preach out of the book of Exodus. Uh, this is a very familiar story. Uh, this is Moses and the burning bush. Now, it's uh, the story that you could read either in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. Uh, if you were going to read the story in the New Testament, uh, you would find it in, this, in the, uh, the book of Acts where uh, Stephen is about to be martyred and uh what stephen is doing he's talking to the jewish rulers and basically what he's doing is he's uh, trying to tell them what i was trying to tell you last week this is god's like big plan this is god's big picture and what he's saying to the religious leaders of the day is you're missing it you're missing god's plan and then he goes into this like you know detail about how uh, Moses, uh, you know, encountered the burning bush, and and so he carries on. Or, of course, we can uh, just pick up the story, and I apologize for my voice. I'm uh, um, sort of at the tail end of, I don't know what, congestion or something, so my voice is a little scratchy. Maybe you'll just have to press in a little bit. I don't know what a scratchy and an accent sounds like together, but it's probably not a good thing, but you'll just bear with me. But uh, we want to look at the story in, in, in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 3. And I just want to read uh, the beginning of this uh, story. One day, this is uh, Exodus 3.1. One day May, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai the mountain of god there the angel of the lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush moses stared in amazement though the bush was engulfed in flames it didn't burn up this is amazing moses said to himself why isn't the bush burning up i must go and see it when the lord saw moses coming to take a closer look God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Uh, here's what I uh, want to point out in this story. Uh, this is an unbelievably personal encounter with God. I mean, this is one of those encounters which uh, it's so personal, it's so like overwhelming that uh, you can't like have an encounter with God like that and just forget about it. Uh, th- this is one of those life-changing experiences. Uh, there's many of us. We've heard other people's testimonies. You've heard me preach. And you say, I, you know, I just wish God would speak to me the same way. Uh, some of you might be saying, I want to have like a, a burning bush experience. I want to know that God exists. I want God to speak to me. I want to want God to like do something in my life. Uh, but I want to point out something here. God absolutely can do that. And God does do that. But think of it this way Moses was 80 years old when he had this encounter with the burning bush. Uh, Moses, from chapter 2 to chapter 3, uh, when Moses was, you know, running away into the wilderness because he had murdered uh, a, a Egyptian. And now he's in the wilderness, and then, you know, he meets his wife. He's been in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, 40 years not hearing God's voice. Uh, He could look back on his life and say, well, okay, God rescued me out of the river, and God provided for me to be educated by Pharaoh, and whatever not. But he hasn't had this profound personal experience with God. Uh, So this is not a frequent event. But I'll also say this, when God does do these dramatic, uh, encounters with us, uh, normally there's a dramatic call and a dramatic cost that goes with that. So for instance, when God uh, called the apostle Paul, Saul, you know, he, Saul, he has an audible voice. He gets struck to the ground. I mean, very, like, overwhelming and personal. But on the other hand, Paul's ministry uh, the ramifications of that personal encounter with God was a ra- rather large responsibility, and a lot of suffering and persecution that went with it. You know, so it's not like God just, uh, you know, does these things to give us warm, fuzzy feelings and say, "Oh, that was just nice," and then we move on. Normally, it's to shake us up and to, you know, like, get us in sync with God. And the same was the case with, uh, say, samuel you know here you got a boy he's not even a, a, an adult and uh, he had to have have help from eli because he was hearing god's voice and uh eli the priest says to samuel okay just like if you hear it again just say okay here i am god speak to me and god quite happily would speak to a boy uh and isaiah uh took one step forward isaiah is having a an uh, uh, unbelievable encounter with the uh, supernatural beings. And then Isaiah says, Lord, here I am. Send me. Uh, you know, but Isaiah's life was, was tough, but it was also glorious. Samuel's life was tough, but it was also uh, rich and rewarding. Uh, and in a similar way, uh, we see that when God calls like Moses, uh, yeah, it was personal, but man, he had a big ministry for him. So what I'm saying is this, we can absolutely ask God to intervene in our lives, to reveal himself and to be personal. But I don't think we should get upset when God doesn't provide a burning bush just because you're doubting whether God exists or doesn't exist or, or you, you know. Uh, God wants to do something. He wants to use us. He wants to use you. But uh, these dramatic experiences tend to be rare and they tend to be, uh, have large consequences. What should not be rare uh, would be any sense of on a regular basis being able to connect with the living God. That should not be a rare experience. It should not be rare that you're hearing God, being encouraged by God, God helping you, directing you, providing for you, uh, giving you some sense of support. That should not be rare. That should be a regular experience. And uh, I, I hope it is that way for you. The other thing that I want to say is this. It's not, God is not exclusive in who he speaks to personally. You don't have to be super spiritual, uh, as in the case of Moses. It's not like Moses had done all these great spiritual things and then God rewarded him by speaking to him. No, Moses had murdered somebody, had run away, and then God revealed himself to him. Uh, you don 't have to be old yeah uh, you can be like uh Samuel uh, he was a boy, and God revealed himself t- uh, to him you don 't have to be you know jewish you don 't have to be a male you don 't have to be any one particular class. God loves all people and wants to use all people and all people should be able to experience experience uh, god 's presence and when god when we experience god 's presence i, I apologize again for my voice cracking up the, the primary um response we should have is one that wow god loves me and uh the secondary response is he's a big and awesome god uh, you know so it's like being loved and being uh trembling and being fearful all in the same uh, sentence when god does dramatic things in in our lives i uh I Dave Ives uh, to come up and share his testimony. Uh, Dave, uh, I know you're somewhere. Come on up. And um, I want you to just listen to Dave's uh, testimony of how he indeed uh, connected uh, with God. Good morning,
1: everyone. Uh, I'm really proud to share my, 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 my experiences with God, how he touched my life and how he's worked in my life. Uh, This is, uh, my story is about B.C., before Christ, obviously. Um, I came from a broken home. I grew up in in California in the 60s, and uh, well, let me just start by saying um, I had a good life when I was a little kid, and I had a great home when I was a little kid. However, my dad decided he didn't want to be there, and he left my mom and my sister and my brother. And that was a change. That was a change of course in my life. However, as a seven-year-old, I didn't know that. I was still pretty happy and go lucky, and my little sister with me. But it changed our life and it changed the course. And uh, to make these stories quicker, to make so I don't have to take too long. Um, you know what I'm talking about, I guess, just by knowing the nature of human existence when families are broken and things are broken and hearts are broken things start to change so my mom did the best she could but she couldn't take my brother with us and uh... my brother stayed with my father and so me and my sister went with my mom and the first thing she wanted to do was run so she took us to to mexico basically to get away and we're down in mexico and i'm asking where's my brother and where's daddy and she goes they're not coming with us so you can see that something had happened to me and my sister and my brother, and my mom. Well, let's fast forward. As I'm growing up and I'm a kid and I'm doing really good in school, I'm making A's and B's and all this. I'm, by the time I'm 15, I'm an A student and 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 I'm living my life with my mom and my sister. I see my dad once a year, and you know something starts to happen inside of me and I feel lonely. I feel disconnected, and I feel different. And so because I met the wrong people, I was, a, I was in the right places, and I was in sports, but I, I started to meet the wrong people, and um, I started doing drugs. So by the time I was 15, 16, I was already drinking and doing drugs, and um, it was experimental, you know, as any little kid, or as any young person, but because of the feeling inside that I was sort of empty and sort of lonely, um, I kind of excelled in it. By the time I was 17, I was full-blown druggy, And I wasn't a heroin addict or anything like that yet, but I wasn't far off. And um, by the time I was 17, I was arrested by the FBI for drug trafficking with the Hells Angels. So you can see that I had gone over the top. I was way over the top. And I didn't even know how deep I had gotten myself into, but I was in trouble. And my mom knew my life was a mess. And she said, David, she got me home, and she says, David, I'm afraid you're going to kill yourself. I'm afraid you're going to die. And she called my dad into the picture, and my dad showed up, and he came in the room, and he was not happy. And he smacked me in the face. He knocked me down, and he said, I want to get your attention. And he didn't hurt me, but I cried. I started to tear up because it was my dad. And he said, David, listen to your mother today. It might save your life. She's, she's trying to help you, so listen to her. And my mom said, David, I want to take you and Diane I can't afford to pay for college, but I want to take you and Diane and I want to get you out of here. I want you to have a life before you end it. I want you to see things. I want you to learn things. I want you to see other countries. I want you to see art and history and and architecture. And so she said, I want you to come to Europe with us. We're going to put all our money together, you, me, and Diane, and we're going to go and we're going to adventure the the world as far as we can go. And I said, no, I don't want to go. And my dad said, David, You can always come home and kill yourself, OD, or whatever it is you want to do. But go with your mom and see what she has to say and offer you. And then you can just do whatever. So I said, okay, I'll go for three months. Well, we got on the plane. We ended up in Europe. And after three months, I never wanted to come back. It was so awesome. It was so incredible. It was so beautiful that I changed my life. And I started to look at art. I started to look at history. I started looking at architecture. I would go to the Louvre in Paris and stay there for days, day after day, going in and look at all the art. And I want to tell you this one particular thing that was incredible for me. In front of the Louvre in Paris, they had the Pieta. And for those that may not be familiar with Michelangelo or whatever, (laughs) I wasn't. The Pieta is a sculpture that Michelangelo Michelangelo did. It's a masterpiece. It's a picture, it's a sculpture of Mary sitting down, and Jesus is draped over her lap, crucified. Nail piercings in his hands and and feet and his side. And he has a loincloth across, so he's basically almost naked because of the crucifixion. And I looked at that, and I stood there in front of the Louvre, in in front of this Pieta, this, this, this sculpture. And I I stared and I stared at this man, Jesus. And what was going on? What happened to him? Why did they do this to him? I was there eight hours staring at that. I tried to walk away and I'd walk back. Many times I tried to walk away and I couldn't. I walked back. And I stood staring at something I didn't understand. I didn't know what it was. I knew that Jesus was Jesus. I knew that he, he had a following. But I didn't know really what it was about. And, uh, you know, I, I stood there and I just, it, it started to grip my heart. And I said to myself, my God, who was this man and why did they kill him? Well, now we're leaving Europe and we're going east because t- our, our idea was to go around the world or as far as we could go. So now we're in the east and we're in no longer Christendom or the Western world as Christian, Christian communities are, w- which is mostly Europe and, and our West. We're in Muslim countries now. And I'm with a, my mom and sister, two women. And it's not accepted to walk around with women in those countries to where, where we were. And so we were starting to get persecuted. We were starting to get rocks thrown at us, trash thrown at us, being hit with sticks as we walked, being hit behind my head as we had our backs turned. It was a very dark place. And I started to see the difference. I started to understand that this is a different experience than the Western Christianity, the Western world where Christianity thrived. And as I got deeper into the countries where, the, where Christianity did not exist, I started to see more and more and more suffering and more and more trouble and, and disease and sacrifice, people suffering. And at a, as a 20-year-old kid, by that time I was around 19, 20 years old, it was hard to process emotionally. I was no longer a tourist looking at beautiful things. I was seeing lives being broken and suffering way worse than I knew. And I was crying out inside. Not not only did I have desperation in my soul, but I had desperation for a world that I was looking at, and it didn't seem like it was doing very well. And I kind of thought back, Jesus, what did Jesus do? I remember hearing that Jesus healed people. I remember hearing that he walked, and hundreds and thousands of people followed him, or at least hundreds of people followed him. And I started looking at that in comparison with where I was, and I'm thinking, God, this isn't, Incredible! What's going on? And to keep going further into the story, you can tell the, where I was at with the questions. You can see that that I was really looking and hoping for some kind of understanding. Well, I, we were in Kabul by that time. We had gotten through Pakistan. I had seen people dead on the streets and leprosy and cows running into the buildings and people paying homage to animals more than they were doing to people. And I thought, my God, these religions are just not working. And I was up on a rooftop in Kabul. My mom, we were in a safe place. My mom was in the cafeteria, or like on the third floor. My sister was probably nearby. And I thought, well, they're safe, because I really had to be a guardian over my family. And um, I decided to go up on the roof for a beautiful day, look out over the city. And I was on the rooftop. And I'm looking out over the city, and my heart just started to break. And I says, man, I just don't get it. What is going on with our world? And as I'm looking out, and I'm desperate, look, looking at these difficulties that I'm thinking in my mind, a voice from behind me says to me, there is no hope. There is no reason to live. And I feel, a, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a very scary thing, but I just want to tell you both sides. This, this feeling came over me, and it's almost like a force started to push me towards the edge of the roof. And I felt this oppression, I felt this fear, And the voice in my head or behind me said, there is no hope. Just go to the edge and jump off this roof. And I felt it, and I felt the fear of it, and then I went like this. I said, no. And I turned around in the air, 20-year-old kid, never even knowing the Bible. I turned around to the air, and I said, I know who you are, and you're a liar. You're a liar. There is a hope. There is a hope. And I turned back and I looked up into the sky. It just happened to be, you know, just, just reaching out, looking. And I looked up into the sky. And at the moment of that I looked up into the sky, beautiful blue, blue sky, three doves or three pigeons go flying across the sky right in front of me. And I don't know if you know anything about tumbler pigeons, but there's a type of pigeon that flies in flocks. And this particular group was three. And they flew across the sky And as they reached right about in front of my view, they do what they do, which is they tumble and they just drop and fall, free fall. And it was so beautiful, these three pigeons just free falling. And then they catch flight and they take take flight again. And as they were falling and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, there's got to be a hope. A voice speaks to me and said, David, never forget the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And as that, that voice spoke to me, as I was looking up at that sky, and those three birds flew by, the presence of God fell on me. Now, I can tell you something about what I experienced, but it's hard to maybe grasp, but maybe just look at it this way. Somebody took a bathtub of warm water and poured it over me from head to toe, and I lifted my hands up on that rooftop, and I said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the answer. And I began to weep like a little kid. I, I, I mean, I just went like that. I just went like that and started worshiping God. And I had never known anything about it. About it. I'd never known anything about it. But my response was, oh my God, Jesus is the answer. And this flooding over my soul, this flooding into my spirit... I didn't know anything except that I just couldn't do anything but cry. And I just cried and cried and cried and worshipped. And then I'm like, oh my God, Jesus is the answer. And I got off the roof and I came down and I saw my mom and I said, Mom, something just happened to me. God did something to me. I don't know what happened, but Jesus is the answer. And she's like, Shh. And I'm like, "No, mom, you don't understand." And she goes, "We're in a Muslim country. You can't talk like that right now." And I'm like, "Well, well, well." Oh my god. And I mean, I'm I'm just covered in tears and everything you can imagine crying. And I from that point on, guess what? Jesus was the answer, and I kept and I kept following it.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <coughs> Now, that's a personal experience, and your experience won't be like Dave's experience. Uh, But again, of all places, you know, Afghanistan, Kabul, to encounter the presence of God, uh, God is mysterious. Uh, And yet, clearly, you know, the experience Dave had as a 20-year-old has lasted a lifetime. Uh, So we can't dismiss Uh, when God works when God talks uh, we can't dismiss when we cry out and ask for God in desperation God will you reveal yourself to me when your circumstances when you're that desperate or if you are that desperate uh, and you cry out to God and you say God I'm desperate I need your help Uh, anticipate expect that God will reach out and help you but also expect that there's a responsibility that comes when God reveals himself to you. And the responsibility is that God wants you to obey him and allow him to help you and to transform you. Uh, it's not okay to keep doing your own thing uh, and at the same time say, God, I want you to do your thing. Uh, something has to give. Either God will say, okay, I'll just leave you alone and you just keep doing your thing your way. Or God is going to say, do my thing, my way, uh, and I encourage you. Just press into God. It's not like, uh, it's not like it's that difficult. Uh, I think God is much more interested in speaking to us and being involved in our lives than uh, than sometimes we are in wanting to obey. Uh, the very fact that you're sitting in church today is extremely uh, encouraging. I think if God speaks to us, He speaks to us. Uh, abundantly in church. Uh, he uses preaching. He uses the word. He uses people. He uses worship. He uses testimony to, to get our attention. You know, uh, sometimes it's helpful to see these frameworks or these stages in life, just as I was trying to articulate last week, like Keather's overall picture. But uh, I- in our human development, Uh, When we're trying to grow, there seems to be stages, like from zero to two, uh, we're just bonding with our parents. And then from, you know, like three to like 12, uh, we just need to be obedient. Like our parents say, you know, do this, and we just, as kids, just need to do it. But when you become a teenager, uh, you know, like from 12 to like 17, there's a different phase in our life, a different stage. We... We tend to question. We, your, your parents say, well, go clean up your room. And you say, why? You know, this is like sort of pushback, rebellion, or whatever you want to, it's just part of our growth. And then you become like 18 to 24. It's a different phase. It's a, a phase where you're trying to figure this out for yourself, like your parents have been saying all the time, you know, you'll be a great like engineer or a great artist or something. And, you know, that phase of your life, you've got to believe it. You've got to, like, walk into it. You've got to, like, do the study and, and say, okay, this is what I am. And so you you go through that stage. And then there seems to be another stage in your life where you're just, like, producing. You know, like, from, I don't know what, 26 to 54 or something. You're just producing. You're, you're productive. But then you get another stage in your life uh, where you like being a grandparent. You like mentoring people. You like giving back. You like serving. And that becomes what gives you life and what's meaningful. Now look, when you think of these stages, they're not, you know, ironclad, much like if you do a personality profile uh, for a work scenario, it's helpful. Uh, it's helpful to know what personality type you are with to fit that particular job. But it's not, you know, it's not exact science. It's, it's just helpful. So in a similar way, in trying to hear God, in trying to, Uh, connect with God, in trying to experience God personally, uh, there are stages that we go through. The first stage is this bonding stage. It's like uh, zero to two as a kid where where we just like having a, a burning bush experience like Moses or like David in Kabul. It's like, God, who are you? I'm just trying to figure out you exist. Now, this doesn't correlate to ages in a kid. I mean, you could be 80 years old and be in this bonding stage. Or you could be, you know, a, a young kid and be quite mature spiritually. But the idea of, here's a stage where we're saying, okay, I want to bond. And in this story with Moses, uh, here we've got Moses in verse uh, 4, chapter 3, verse 4. And uh, he's trying to bond. He's trying to figure out God. And, and uh, he says, here I am. God is speaking. He says, here I am. I mean, it's just, there's this bonding going on. Uh, The very next thing, God invariably will ask you and I to obey. So the very next thing God says to Moses is, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And invariably, God is going to speak to us and we need to respond to him. And I'm sure Moses took off his sandals. I mean, out of fear, out of like reverence, out of like, okay, this is peculiar or what. But he would have obeyed God. Uh The next thing that happens is there's a questioning and a pushback. And in verse 11, we see Moses protesting to God. He says, but it says this in verse 11. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, there's this protesting. We push back. We're like a teenager. You know, it's like question, question, question. And then there's this. You know, mature sort of response that happens where we, we finish being obnoxious and we're just like, okay, God, I'm trying to figure this out in a more like a mystical way where, uh, okay, I'm trying to get an answer and, and God answers us but it doesn't totally answer us. It's just like, you know, a teenager, your parents answer your question but teenagers still like frustrated, rebellious or whatever. They, they, they want more. And in this particular case, Moses says, okay, I, I, I get it. Like, God, oh, who are you then? And then God says, okay, uh, uh, this is who I am. And God gives him this sort of mystical answer. He says, I am who I am. Uh, In verse 14, God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And it's like, oh, okay, so that's a loaded phrase. And that's sort of a helpful answer, but it it doesn't answer all the questions. And then, you, you know, the next step of the... Um, relationship or encountering God's presence would be Moses then gets it. He gets his instructions from God and he's productive. You know, for most of the next phase from the book, chapter 4 of uh, Exodus until the end, Moses is dealing with Pharaoh, dealing with the plagues, leading the people out of, into the promised land, going up to Mount Sinai. I mean, he's, he's productive for God. He's fulfilling his ministry. And then you get to the end of your life and then hopefully there's some sense of mentoring or passing the baton or doing the next phase. And in Joshua, we see, okay, God is saying, okay, Joshua, you take over. You take over from where Moses left off. These stages are also helpful for us in a way, not because they ironclad, but because they kind of help us uh, understand church and understand God. But... Uh, In church life, uh, as we try and figure out, well, how do we become a disciple? How do we do church? You know, the first phase would be this bonding. We're trying to get to know God, uh, and then there's a sense where we need to be obedient. Now, obedience, obeying God, is not always a negative thing. They've done studies, for instance, where they've asked a whole bunch of kids to go to a playground, and they say to the kids, look, you can play anywhere you like in this playground and they tell them where the barriers are, where the limitations are. And they say, don't go past those barriers because bad things will happen back there. Just stay like here in the playground. And the kids tend to all huddle together and they tend to be pretty insecure and they tend to be frightened. However, when they then put up a fence in that playground and they say to the kids, okay, you can play anywhere you like in this area, but there's a fence. The the kids tend to prefer it. tend to say, okay, I feel safe, I can go right up to the fence, I can play anywhere within the fence, and it's safe. That's natural. Uh, Many churches excel in this. They love to tell people, like, what to do. Uh, And it's helpful. When you're a new believer, you're saying, well, can I do this? Does the Bible say I can do this? And you say, I don't know, because you you knew. And then someone like me says, you can do this, and you can do that, and you can do this, and don't do that. And it tends to be very rules-focused. And... uh, it's helpful when you're new. It, 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 it helps you to grow. The problem comes when I start imposing a whole bunch of rules on you that aren't actually in the book. And then that becomes like, okay, this feels restrictive. Now, there's a lot of great churches and a lot of great ministries, especially if you're dealing with uh, recovery folks or you're dealing with some churches like specializing kids which have run away from home and they're trying to like love them and bring them back. They're very rigid and very rules-focused because people need fences and boundaries and structure to help them sort of like a military but then there's other other churches where i'd say um you know we could fit into this category where you know you'd come up to me and you'd say well is this okay and i'd say what does god say and he said well i don't really know what god says and i'm like well figure it out ask the holy spirit i mean i I don't know what to tell you and you say well i don't like that just tell me can i do it or can't i do it you know and i'm like "Well, well it's up to god and up to you and uh, and you're like well that feels kind of squishy but on the other hand it's kind of freedom you know it's like yeah I mean it's like you grow uh, so d- the other thing it's not helpful in this analogy every analogy breaks down it's not like these are linear like okay like I just started in the first one the baby you're young you get older you get older and you mature and then you Eureka, ooh, you're there no this is more like a syndical, uh spiral it's where you know f- sometimes you need the rules and then you need the freedom and then you need back the rules so all I'm trying to say is you might realize that you're at a certain stage at this particular point where you're either like, I'm trying to bond. I don't know God. I'm trying to figure out if God exists. For others of you, that's like so far from where you're at. Uh, you know, you're like, I just want to obey God and be blessed by God. Others of you are like, I'm questioning. Everything's like, I don't know if this is the way to do church. I don't know if it's this. Or I don't even know if I believe in this stuff. And, you know, it's just me and God. I don't need church. I don't need anybody preaching to me and telling me. I, I just... I can figure it out on my own. I mean, you might be in that stage. Another stage might be, uh, you know, I, I love church, I love God, but man, there's so much more to know. I, I, although I know God, I don't know God. There's like so much more to know, and, and, and you're pressing in. And, and, and others of you, you're serving, you're going on missions trips, you're producing, and, uh, and others of you, you're saying, you know, I just want to like mentor people. I just want to pray for people. I just want to help others. I, I just get so much life when I just give back. So it's just helpful knowing where you're at. And it's not like, you know, the mentoring thing is now the the superior stage. I mean, it's just helpful sometimes to know where you're at. Uh, Do you recognize yourself in that? I I hope you do. Let me finish this way. God can speak to us and does speak to us in in many different ways. Moses in the burning bush. Dave standing on a rooftop, you know, yelling and feeling a physical oppression to commit suicide. Uh, God can speak to you through circumstances you're just like wow that that's just too coincidental you know it happens again and again you say that has got to be god Uh, god can speak to you because somebody else tells you about god god can speak to you because you have a dream and uh in the dream you're just like this i think this is god god can speak to you because you have intuition i mean you know you're just like man i I gotta phone my sister i I, i'm worried about my kids And, and at that particular moment Without anybody saying anything, you just like get anxious, or you're like, something's happened, or I need to. So you do that. I mean, God can speak to us in all sorts of ways. But let me just say this The, the most common way God would speak to us would be in this format, where I'm preaching and God is talking to you. Not even exactly what I'm saying, but like in between the words I'm saying, in the spaces. God uses. I mean, people will come to me after and say, Rod, that was a great sermon. I say, what did you like about it? And they say, well, I really liked you know, this and this and this. And I'm like, I don't even preach that. <laughs> uh, that, that happens often. And people say, this is really great. And I'm like, I, I did not say anything about that. It wasn't the main point. It's not even where I was going. But it's where God was going with you as you're listening. God just does that. God uses the word, the Bible, to speak to us. Uh, You know, so it says it like this in Romans, chapter 10, verse 13. And I'll finish with this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, just as Dave did. But how can they call on him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they've heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. There's something about when we read the word of God or we hear the word of God or we listen to the word of God that God speaks to us. So uh, let me just uh, end with that and uh, why don't we have a worship team come on up. So Lord, I just know as I, I finish preaching, you're still speaking. And as we worship you, Lord, I just pray that you'd move in our hearts, that you would uh, bless us with your presence. Uh, Lord, that you would be here, and Lord, that you would speak. And Lord, for those that are hungry for you, and those that are desiring to obey you, Lord, I just pray you'd bless them and show them. Uh, In your name, Jesus, amen. Why don't you stand and let's uh, worship